The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hamelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, it is my delight and pleasure to welcome Mr. Mark Karpecki. He is a soils agronomist for Organic Valley Cooperative based in Wisconsin. He holds an undergraduate degree in agriculture with a major in soil science and a minor in agronomy. He has worked with the Soil Conservation Service, and then he also received a master's degree in soil science in 1988. He served for 24 years with the University of Wisconsin's Extension Program, working in northern Wisconsin in the area of agriculture and natural resources. So without further ado, Mark, welcome. Thank you so much, Melinda. It's a real honor to be your guest today. Well, I saw you speak about soils last month in Wisconsin, and I was so impressed with your understanding of what goes on underneath the surface. And as a dietitian, when I was going through my training, I never learned about the importance of soil to plant health, animal health, public health. And we're connecting those dots these days, and that's why I wanted you to be my guest. So my first question to you is, how does a young man become interested in soil science? (laughs) That's a great question, Melinda. When I was a kid, our family had a dairy farm in northeastern Wisconsin, but my mom and dad both had full-time jobs off the farm in addition. And my dad worked for the Forest Service, and he always enjoyed inviting his colleagues over to our house for supper and we'd sit and visit and and talk about their jobs and and fishing and hunting and whatever else came up and one time uh, one of the people who he invited over to our place uh, he introduced as a soil scientist and I was a young kid I was probably 12 or 14 years old and and I hadn't given that much thought before and I thought a soil scientist what is a soil scientist and I pondered that, and I puzzled over it for a while, and I thought, you mean there are people who who devote their lives to studying the soil and trying to understand what's going on in the ground beneath our feet? And, and the more I thought about it, the more intrigued I got by the idea of it, until finally, um, after a few years of thinking about that, I decided, I want to be one of those. I want to be a soil scientist. And I, I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but I knew I wanted to do it, and so... It's been a great journey. I've spent most of the rest of my life trying to understand what's going on in the ground. I love the fact that you discovered your lifelong profession at the dinner table, and I think that it brings home the need for us to gather around the dinner table, share meals, and invite interesting people to the table, because you never know where that might take your children's future. So that's a great story. Do you remember who that soil scientist was? (laughs) Well, I remember it was a young lady, and her first name was Laura. I I don't remember her last name, unfortunately. Yeah, because I would love for her to know the influence that she had just by sharing her profession. I think it's a it's a great story. But anyway, not to get off on a tangent, but one of the things that you mentioned during your presentation was that a teaspoon of good, healthy soil has more organisms than people on Earth. 
And, you know, that is a really difficult concept for me to get my arms around. A teaspoon of healthy soil has more organisms than people on Earth. How do we know that and how do we kind of visualize that? Well, that's a really great question, Melinda. There's just a burgeoning field of science right now, soil ecology. And every month, the professional journals are full of research articles about new discoveries that relate to soil ecology and all the organisms that are out there. And the people who study this are the ones who came up with those numbers. And, you know, there are all types of living things in the soil. There's bacteria and actinomycetes and fungi and nematodes and arthropods, insects, earthworms, you name it. And most of these things, I understand, we don't even know the name of, let alone what they do or what their role is. But to help people get a a picture of how big of a number that is, you know, we we keep hearing about the world's population being something over 7 billion people right now. And we hear huge numbers all the time with regard to the national budget and things like that. And it's hard to understand just how big of a number that is. So in terms of a million, I like to start there. And most people can envision what an inch is and and what a mile is. And so to understand the concept of just one million, I start by thinking of there are about one million inches in 16 miles. And of course, a billion is a thousand times as big as a million. So there would be 16,000 miles equivalent to a billion inches. So about two-thirds of the way around the world would be a billion inches. And when we talk about the number of living things in a small handful of soil like that, a teaspoon or about a gram is, is, is one of the units that people often say, but at least a small handful, that would be very safe. Having over 7 billion living things in it is just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And we seem to talk about soil like it's, you know, it's dirt, right? It's just this substance that we want to clean off our hands and keep out of the house. And yet it seems to me like it's really a miraculous substance in terms of, you know, my understanding would be that it's ro- that all of these organisms within the soil, their role is to help get nutrients into plants. And then we as humans that eat the plants, we benefit from those interactions. Would you agree with that? And what would you add to that? I think that's that's a very good way to look at it, Melinda. And, and it goes so much deeper than that. I mean, there are so many things that go on in soil. You know, soil is a community. It's a vibrant, dynamic place where all kinds of things are happening at once. And we have all these different players who are all relating to each other and interacting and cooperating and fighting with each other at, at various times and in various functions. And you're right. I mean, in our food supply, all these things that go on biologically in soils have a huge impact on how plants can grow, how well they can yield, what the quality is going to be, how well the plant is able to thrive, how well it it, uh, is able to resist attacks from diseases and insects and other problems, how well it withstands drought, how it's able to cycle nutrients from one form to another and continue to recycle things that are available in the system. And it it is just an amazing process. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about how the soil bacteria 
affects the nutritional content of food. Do we know anything about how those relationships work to improve the nutritional quality of plants? Well, the people who study these things are learning more about those processes really every day. But there are some very basic things that we do know, and actually farmers have known these things for a long time. Uh, things like uh, a type of bacteria called rhizobium that live in the roots of legume plants, members of the pea and bean family, pea and bean family, that are able to take free atmospheric nitrogen out of the air. Uh, nitrogen accounts for about 78% of the gases in our atmosphere, and, and that's present in an inert form. And these bacteria have an enzyme called nitrogenase that makes them able to take that nitrogen gas out of the air and turn it into proteins that they use to build their own bodies. And that in turn becomes food for the plant that's the host for the bacteria as well as all the other plants that live in association with those legume plants. So that's something that's been known for a long time. There are lots and lots of other examples. and We could go on for probably hours with, with examples of just how different types of microbes affect plant health. And we know that when we have a legume plant that's growing without these types of beneficial bacteria growing in their roots, that that plant isn't able to produce as much yield. The types of proteins that it's able to produce on its own without the bacteria are, are not anywhere near as high in quantity or in quality. And so those plants are producing food that we eat directly or feed that, that goes to livestock that we then eat. And so all these things have an impact on ultimately the type of food and the amount of food and the quality that we're going to be able to derive from that system. So that's just one example, and there are many, many, many more that we know about and probably lots more to be discovered yet. Well, you know, I think it's interesting, I think you touched on this with regard to plant resiliency and it's a, the plant's ability to resist pest attacks and how a healthier soil enables those plants to be more resilient. And I remember hearing a, a gentleman speak. He had been a conventional farmer and then he switched over to an organic system. And the thing that convinced him to switch was the fact that during a year when there was a lot of fungal invasion in tomato plants, and he was spraying the heck out of those plants to no avail. A friend, a neighbor, who was just this little old lady who had an organic system, had no problem with, really no debilitating problems with fungal infections. So it was this aha moment for him that this healthy soil, which is, of course, what the organic system is based on, was able to protect those plants. And I wondered about your own transition. You know, certainly you probably grew up in a relatively conventional system or certainly a conventional college environment. How did you switch over to recognizing that organic was a better way? <laughs> well, when I was a kid, uh, my oldest brother used to drag me along with him and, and my sister-in-law down to my sister-in-law's farm in central Illinois, and I would help them each summer uh, with some of the farm work when they were making their hay during their second crop season. And my sister-in-law's mom subscribed to this little magazine that I started to read in the evenings just because there wasn't much else to do called Organic Gardening. And I started reading Organic Gardening and I thought, you know, that's really an interesting idea. Raising vegetables and raising crops and, and things 
without using synthetic fertilizers and synthetic pesticides. And so I just became intrigued by that idea of organic agriculture, and it sort of stuck with me. And through a long time of my life, I often just liked the idea of organic farming because it seemed like a cool way to be able to raise crops and to raise animals. And throughout my college time and throughout a lot of my younger adult life, I was convinced that it was a neat way to be able to practice agriculture, but really there was no difference in the type of food that was grown organically compared to food that was raised conventionally. And I held that belief for quite a while. But eventually I started to look at what was going on in the world with regard to health and with regard to diseases in plants and different disorders going on in crops and animals and things like that. And I started to have some questions. And it's only really been for about the past five years that I have really become convinced that organic agriculture is actually a superior way to grow food. And we're starting to see lots and lots of scientific studies that bear this out. So it's gone beyond the, the idea of just a philosophy or a preference or something like that to where we're at the point now where we've got good, sound scientific evidence from a number of different parameters that shows why farming this way produces food that's safer, more nutritious, and just uh, provides so many benefits, not only agriculturally and nutritionally, but also from a socioeconomic standpoint, it allows people to practice agriculture profitably at a much smaller scale so that the end result of this is that when there are more organic farmers, there end up being more farmers in general because you can have more people producing food. They don't have to do it at such a large scale to make a living. And when this happens, it has great effects on communities and schools and churches and, and local businesses and everything all up and down the line. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I, we've got to take one quick break to just let our listeners know that we are speaking with Mr. Mark Kapecki. He is a soil specialist with 25 years experience. He actually is a soils agronomist for Organic Valley Crop Cooperative. He's got experience with extension for 24 years as an extension agent. He's worked with farmers trying to improve soils the health of their crops and animals, and I was absolutely fascinated by his presentation in Wisconsin and knew that we needed to connect these dots between soil health and human health. Now, I have to tell you that I, too, was taught that, you know, there's really no difference between organic and conventional, say, food, right? But I, too, have seen enough validation, good scientific conclusion that there is indeed a difference, and if the soil is healthier, Does it really take a rocket scientist to say if the soil is healthier, then the plants are healthier, the animals and the humans will be healthier? I don't know. You know, sometimes I wonder how much more research do we really need to prove this point? (laughs) Well, it makes so much sense intuitively, and and I, I like your comments, Melinda. But it also is heartening to me to see that we can measure these things and that when we practice agriculture this way, that we really do see these these tangible, measurable benefits. I loved your comments at the beginning there about how when you were in school, you know, we never really talked about the connection between the quality of food that we're eating and, and where that food came from. And it was the same experience that I had from the other side. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about soils and cropping systems and different types of farming practices, but in those days we never really took it to the conclusion of, you know, how does this affect the food that we eat and how does that affect our health? Mm-hmm. And you know what's really exciting, Mark, is that there are some hospitals now that are incorporating farms on-site. And I don't know that we've got any studies yet to show, but I'm going to put my money on more rapid healing, faster, more efficient healing, lower medical expenses when we feed people in hospitals who are sick, better food so that they will get better sooner, faster. Lots of research yet to be done, but I hear what you're saying, and I love the idea of bringing the medical community together with nutritionists and plant scientists and soil scientists to figure all of these things out together. So thank you for recognizing those connections as well. Well, let me ask you another question. So part of your bio talks about you being a soil scientist, and then you also studied agronomy. What is the difference between those two? Well, they have some overlap, and they're very closely related. Agronomy is basically just a way to describe applied plant science. So what I mean by that is we study the way plants grow and we apply that basic science to cropping systems. So usually when we think of agronomy, we think of the total system involving the soils, the crops, fertility, uh, entomology, uh, diseases, you know, plant pathology, all those things wrapped together into that applied field of how do we grow good yields of high-quality crops. And basically, that's what agronomy is. Soil science, of course, relates to that, but there are many different aspects to soil science. It could be the study of what we call pedology, which has to do with how soils form and what makes soils in different parts of the world with different parent materials and things like that similar or different. could be uh, the branch of soil ecology, where we study just the biology that goes on in the soil. could be soil chemistry, in other words, how different nutrients and other chemicals that are in the soil interact and affect things that go on with the soil. It could be the, the field of soil physics, which has to do with the physical properties of soil, how water moves through the soil, how soils warm up, uh, how soils cleanse uh, the, the gases and, and fluids that, that go through them. So there's all these different aspects of soil science that a lot of those do relate to agronomy, but but they, they do have uh, disciplines unto themselves as well. Mm-hmm. You know what concerns me is that with conventional, and I, I'm using the term that's often used in the media, you know, this quote-unquote conventional agriculture tends to use chemicals, and I worry about how those chemicals affect all of those microorganisms in the soil and their ability to interact with the plants. So would we see less earthworms, for example, in soil where the plants have been sprayed with an herbicide or pesticide? And have you seen differences in soil quality with a conventional chemical model versus an organic one? There certainly can be, and and I guess I I like to make the distinction, instead of using the terms conventional and organic agriculture, which you didn't, but but that's often where we go when we talk about the different systems, And, and, and there are farmers who I consider to be conventional farmers who are excellent, excellent stewards of the land, and they're doing a beautiful job. So um, our, our argument is not with any farmer 
in particular. Our, our argument or, or our philosophy is to differentiate what we call industrial agriculture with our method of farming, which we think is, is more in nature's image. And your questions are excellent. And we definitely have seen lots and lots of cases of unintended consequences where with the industrial model of agriculture, we recognize a problem that comes up. It could be a disease. It could be an insect. Uh, it could be a fertility problem or, or something else. And so we try to treat that symptom. And if we treat that symptom in isolation, we can do something that temporarily will alleviate that problem, but it could cause problems in something else in this cycle. And with organic agriculture, one of the principles that we like to follow is this idea of holistic thinking. In other words, we recognize that in a living system, everything is connected to everything else. And so we try to be very cautious about just trying to knock out a particular pest with an artificial method. Instead, we try to study what goes on in a natural system and try to use those principles that are going on in nature to modify the, the environment that we have to work in so that we get the outcome that we're looking for. Some specific examples about what you asked there would, would be things like when we use some chemical dewormers on livestock to manage internal parasites, a lot of these chemicals are very effective at knocking out the parasite load in the digestive tract of an animal. The problem that we see then, along with that type of treatment, is that when that animal excretes its manure, what we would like to see in organic agriculture, and I think most conventional farmers would also like to see this, is we'd like to see that manure get recycled and enrich the organic matter of the soil and feed the beneficial organisms that will allow the manure to break down and release the nutrients so that the crops that are growing on that land can take advantage of those. And that's a biological process. It relies on earthworms and dung beetles and, and lots of other things that live in the ground. And what we found is that with a lot of these chemical dewormers, they get rid of the parasites in the animal just fine. And when the manure lands on the ground, that activity of that chemical that we treated the cow or, or pig or sheep with carries over into the manure, and it keeps the dung beetles from being able to do their job. It keeps the earthworms from being able to do their job. And so we've just put this big roadblock in this system that we really want to function well. Mm. So that's that's one example. Uh, there's lots and lots of them. I, I know we've got a limited time, but uh, we've seen other examples where we've got problems, say, with aphids in an agronomic crop. And so we could apply an insecticide to knock out the aphids and when we do that, we find that we disrupt the whole cycle of insects that are going on out there, and we can unintentionally knock out a bunch of beneficial insects that we really need for that crop to do well and for the whole ecology to function the way it's supposed to. And so you can create this system where you have this domino effect where you know you, you change one thing to do what you wanted to, and then a whole bunch of other things happen down the line that you really would prefer didn't happen. So there's lots and lots of examples like that. That is so fascinating, and it explains so much about how the farmer may be applying one chemical that doesn't work, so they apply another one. And then it's, like you say, it's a domino effect. Things become progressively worse rather than better. And if I look at what's going on, at least in the middle section of the country where we both live, 
I see now there's the, the trend to move towards these new 2,4-D or dicamba-resistant crops. So we're stacking more resistant traits to more herbicides. And I worry about the effects not only of the chemicals themselves on human health, but now, as you've explained, the unintended consequences and the multiplier effect of what might be going on in the soil. Do you think about that, too? Oh, all the time, all the time. And and you raise an excellent point. And I guess it reminds me of the way I look at the complexity of this biological system that we're working with. This whole system is something that's so complicated that, that no one will ever understand all of the components of it and exactly what the players are and how they relate to each other. So the downside of, of the approach that you just described there with applying these band-aids to these different systems and trying to treat these individual symptoms one at a time is that we don't understand the complexity of this system that we're working with, and we really don't know what's going to happen to a bunch of the other factors when we try to artificially manipulate one of them. The beauty of the complexity of this system is that even though it's so complicated that we can never really understand everything about the way it works, we can understand enough about how it works so that we can follow these practices that we see illustrated in nature and know that as long as we set up conditions that are good and healthy for everything that is trying to grow in the soil, and in this whole ecology of the agricultural system, we know that when we provide good conditions, that the good guys generally win. And even if we don't understand how they do that or or who's responsible for it or exactly what the mechanism is, we can take advantage of that process and and those principles involved in that to provide that type of an environment where those things just happen naturally. Mm -hmm. We just have a minute left. Do you want to leave our listeners with one final message or call to action? Well, I guess I would really encourage everybody to study the types of things that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. You know, realize that we do live in a holistic type of an environment here, and the things that we do to our soil and our cropping systems and our livestock systems do affect the quality of the food that we eat, that affects our health, that affects our our outlook on how we approach life, how we interact with others, how productive we are, how well satisfied we are, and all those things. And I, I just so much appreciate your view of this, Melinda, looking at everything as, as the big picture. Well, it's taken years for both of us, hasn't it, to really kind of see just how much we don't know. (laughs) We start out, we get our college degrees, and we think, okay, this is it. I've I've got all the information I need. And then as we get older, we realize, wow, a lot more things are connected than we may have thought. And I love the idea of looking at the soil and then applying that to our own physiology Because you're right, everything is connected. So I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Thank Mark Kopecki for being my guest. And let our listeners know that Mark is a soil specialist with 25 years of practical experience in soil testing, analysis, interpretation, and fertility plan development. He has worked for the National Soil Conservation Service. He has worked for University Extension for over 24 years. And now he is the soils agronomist for Organic Valley Crop Cooperative. And we want to let everyone know that www.organicvalley.com 
C-O-O-P, co-op, is a place to get more information. Mark, thank you again. And in closing, I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again for being my guest, Mark. Thank you so much, Melinda.